Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. It was interesting, the song just before the last worship song we sang, Remember the words, come live in me, all my life take over. You see, if you and I lived in the Old Testament, you would never say that. That was impossible. God didn't live in people. He only represented himself in the temple. He never really came in. Now, there were people from time to time that had the anointing of the Spirit, but very different than the New Testament. People are so sure they know how best to make their lives work. You don't need to look far to see people who seem to have it all together. But when you look under the surface, they're a mess. Even some in the clergy have pitfalls and weirdness associated with their lives. As Pastor Mark will be explaining in his teaching today, a lot of these dysfunctions happen because people don't want to admit that they don't know the best way to run their lives. They need Jesus running them. And today, you'll find out how to do that. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 8 as he begins his message, Christ's new covenant is better. chapter 8. The last verse of chapter 8 is the same word. It talks about the old covenant is obsolete. It's done with. It's finished. It's completed. Well, we won't start at that verse. We'll start back at verse 1 and see how we get there. The writer, I believe as Paul says this, The point of what we are saying is this. That's a great way because Paul is trying to say as the writer, here's what I've been stressing in the first seven chapters. And what he's been stressing is one word, better. All true, it's all about Better, And he's encouraging this small group to consider that Jesus is better in every way, shape, and form. For those of you that are teachers, what you see in verse 1 is very important. It's important for teachers to have a point. Have you ever listened to somebody, and be careful now, and you got through with a sermon, you went, What was that all about? Because there were rabbit trails everywhere. Or it was just jokes or PowerPoint or whatever, and there was really no point to it. Well, 
obviously, when I teach and any of the pastors teach here in any way, shape, or form, our goal is to give you a point, at least one. And, of course, I do that quite often with the PowerPoint and just other things. Of course, God speaks to you. Paul is doing the same thing. He's just bringing into memory. He says, hey, I've been writing for a long time. Let's see if you got the point. And the point was better, better. Now, William McDonald, a great Bible commentator, says this. Remember the Jewish people who had become converts to Christianity. They were being mocked, at least, maybe worse, challenged, ostracized by the former Jewish people. Some of them would have been family. And they would have said to them, you're crazy. You've left the sanctuary. You left the high priest. You left sacrifices. You got nothing. Why in the world did you do that? Well, we'll look at verse 2 and then we'll talk. The rest of verse 1. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. See, Paul knew exactly what these relatives, friends, how they were mocking, how were they were challenging. William McDonald says this in response to this. We have the tabernacle. We have the priesthood. That's what these people would be saying. We have the offerings. We have the ceremonies. We have everything. We have the beautiful priestly garments. What do you have? And he says there, well, here's what we have. You guys have the shadow. You have the outdated model. You see, we don't have the shadow. We don't have the mock-up model. We have the real model, Jesus Christ. You guys have a picture of what was coming We have the real. Notice, have. First point to write, that word have means current. Current possession. So Paul would say, here's how you respond nicely to these individuals who are making fun of you that you have no temple to go to, you have no sacrifices to go to, there's no priest on earth, no human that you're going to. Here's how you respond to them. You just say to them, we have a better high priest who is seated next to God in heaven. It was interesting, the song just before the last worship song we sang. Remember the words? Come live in me, all my life take over. You see, if you and I lived in the Old Testament, you would never say that. That was impossible. God didn't live in people. He only represented himself in the temple. He never really came in. Now, there were people from time to time that had the anointing of the Spirit, but very different than the New Testament. So these people couldn't say, come live in me, all my life take over. But the ones that could say it were the Hebrews who had become Christians, because that's where Jesus lived. Remember, we have, we do have such a high priest. In other words, current possession. He lives right in here. Now, notice as you read, who sat down at the right hand of the throne. In the Old Testament, remember, no furniture in the holies of holy, no chairs, no place for the priest to sit down, constantly working, constantly doing all these things, sacrifices never complete. Jesus, seated right hand of the Father. Why? His work is done. So the priesthood was no longer an earthly priesthood, but it's one that operated 
in heaven. And next, we'll talk about the tabernacle and what that looked like in the Old Testament and why that was a picture in the New Testament and how that works. So better. Let me just review for you some of the betters. Christ remains the high priest forever. You don't have to copy this down. Just think about this. In other words, no more secession of priests. Forever. One. Single. If the rapture doesn't occur and God doesn't come back, if we're here another hundred years, your children, your grandchildren, will have the same high priest I have. It's Jesus Christ. And when we all get to heaven, he's the one we're going to worship around the throne. Second, the heavenly temple wasn't made by man. Third, Christ is always in God's presence. The Levitical priest was in the actual holies of holy how many times a year? Once. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Christ offered his own blood, not that of animals. Christ offered his blood once. That was all was needed. It was a perfect sacrifice, no repetition. And because of that, now we have access to this intermediary 24-7. Notice verse 2. And who serves in the sanctuary. That's a beautiful picture. Pastor Dave and Joe did a great leadership class. We had about 150, 160 people in that class. I don't know what it was, 12, 14 weeks, something like that. And they did a great job. They studied. They're going to be so useful. And we ended that Friday night. And when I was speaking to them at the end, I just remembered this verse. Remember when Jesus came to this earth, what did he say? He said, you're not going to be like the Jewish leaders. You're not going to be like the people of the world who say, serve me. He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came, Jesus said, to serve. Well, you think when he left heaven, I mean, when he left the earth and went back to heaven, that would have been it. But notice what verse 2 says. What is he doing in heaven? He's serving. See, that's the nature of a Christ follower. That should be my nature. In the Old Testament, priests were serving the people. Here, nothing's changed. Jesus is serving his people. That's you, and that's me. Did Jesus have to serve any of you this week by going to the Father and saying, Father, they need forgiveness. Anybody here, you think your name was called to the Father? Yes. If you didn't raise your hand, your name is being called right now to the Father. Verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. Now, What did Jesus offer? Just keep your finger there. Go back to chapter 7. Look down to verse 27. Remind us. Jesus didn't have to go out and find a lamb. Remember when John the Baptist at the Jordan River saw Jesus, what did John the Baptist say? Here comes Jesus, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. So Jesus didn't have to look for a sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. 
Hebrews 7, 27, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. So, unlike the Old Testament priest, one-time sacrifice, Jesus, and I think this is very important. Remember, Jesus says, no man takes my life. But I what? I give it. See the word here? He offered himself. You know, when we talk about giving and tithing and the giving of our time and our talents and all those things to the Lord, I always say to you at the end of all of those things, if you feel you have to do these things for God, forget it. Because it's not worth it. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. So the way we please God is we offer ourselves. Romans chapter 12, our whole bodies, we offer them as living sacrifices. Now back to verse 5, chapter 8. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle. You can find that in Exodus 25. Here's what God said. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So when the Old Testament priests served in the sanctuary or the tabernacle, they, first of all, made sure it was built to the exact specifications given by God. When we get to chapter 9, we'll talk a little bit more about that pattern and why it's a better sanctuary in heaven. So the writer says simply here that Jesus' sanctuary, your place of ministry, isn't earthly. He doesn't come down to earth anymore, doesn't dwell in temples anymore, could never be really contained in a temple, but did it so that man had a representation of where to worship. But he is in a heavenly one. Now, Paul begins to contrast the old covenant and the new covenant. Let me just give you a little definition of a covenant because these are things that we don't talk about a lot. A covenant is established when two parties enter into an agreement which binds each of them to one another. In other words, a mutual kind of understanding where they enter into the covenant. Remember, when we talked about marriage, we always talk about marriage being a covenant, not a contract. A covenant is not made to be broken. A contract is definitely made to be broken. That's why we have lawyers, to get you out of the contract. Well, a covenant was never made to be broken. And as we go through this, let me just remind you a little bit. The old covenant, there's a number of old covenants, but the major one was with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. We've talked about that when we talked about the importance of Israel and the land of Israel and the people of Israel. God never gave up on Israel. Romans 9, 10, 11 tells us he never gave up on Israel. And then after that, we move along and we have the covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant. In that is when the law came. And we'll talk a little more about that. Now, those were covenants that were lasting forever, specifically the Abrahamic covenant to the nation of Israel. But the one given to Moses was specifically only for the Jews. So when we come to the New Testament, the old covenant... 
given to Moses doesn't really apply to you and I. Now, there's one part of it that does. I'll talk about that. That's the moral part of it does apply to us. But maybe you come from a background of a a church that kind of goes by the Old Testament. No, you don't go by the Old Testament anymore. We have a new covenant, and you're going to see that. Now, the Old Covenant focused on what men were supposed to do, but you'll hear me say it many times, were unable to do. They couldn't keep the law, and they couldn't save themselves by good works. They just couldn't. The New Covenant replaces it, and now God gave us a way so that man could be right with God, and he wouldn't have to work for it, because you could never work for it and be good enough. We just get that righteousness by belief and faith. Now, just stating that, Old Covenant was based on man trying to be good enough, knowing God put it there, man could never, so it would drive him to Christ. The New Covenant, already the price for salvation has been paid for. I just have to believe in the one who lives in me, and I am righteous with God. Now, just thinking about the old and the new, which covenant would you rather be under? There's anybody who say, oh, I'll take the old. No, you would never take that. Because obviously it was impossible for us. So grace and truth and forgiveness, complete forgiveness, are found in this this new covenant. Look at verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior, or the word better, to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator, or the go-between, is superior to the old one. And it's founded on better promises. In other words, we're going to see that the new covenant was promised in the Old Testament. Promised by God. Wasn't given until the church started because it's based on the blood of Jesus Christ. You remember when we take communion and we read that passage, what do we read from the Scripture? We read from the Scripture, Jesus says, and this is my body and this is my blood of the new covenant. It was something brand new established that night. And of course... Uh, organized, uh, put into place by what Jesus was going to do a few days later as he went to the cross. Verse 7, this is very important. If there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. In other words, if the old covenant was fine, what? There wouldn't be a new one. God wouldn't have promised a new one. So we know that the Old Covenant was always, in God's mind, temporary. It was a shadow. It was never going to be the final thing. Now, we do have the final covenant, the New Covenant. There won't be like New Covenant number two, New Covenant rapture version. It's permanent. It's done. It's finished. Now, the Old Covenant was given to the Jews to guide them in their daily lives. How do we live? What do we do? How do we do life? And you can find that starting in Exodus 20 and maybe five or six chapters, somewhere in there, you find the Old Covenant. All the rules and regulations. They were broken down into three categories. The moral laws, which included, by the way, the Ten Commandments. Civil laws. In other words, the social rules, how to get along in the community. And last, ceremonial, which had to do with worship, had to do with sacrifices, had to do with the temple, had to do with priests. So, moral, civil, and ceremonial. 
Now, when we come to the New Testament and we come to the New Covenant, there's only one part, really, of that that we keep. Can you imagine which part it is? Would it be the moral? Would it be the social rules? Or would it be the ceremonial laws? It'd be the moral. Because the moral laws don't what? They don't change. Now remember, the Old Covenant, so you understand this, the Old Covenant was given to the Jews only. So when we come to the New Testament, and we have the New Covenant, we do keep the moral laws. And the moral laws basically defined as the Ten Commandments. How many of those moral laws are repeated in a way, shape, or form in the New Testament? Nine of them. One of them isn't. Which law don't we have to keep? The Sabbath. Because that was only for the Jews. So, Pastor Mark, what do you mean? Christians don't have to keep the Sabbath? No. Because Paul says what? It was a shadow of that which is to come. So in the New Testament, how often do we worship God? You heard me say it a billion times. 24-7. Why? Because that's what worship is. It isn't regulated to a building. It isn't regulated to a service. Now, for convenience, like the New Testament church, everything you see in the New Testament church is on the first day of the week, which is not the Sabbath, which is Sunday. You say, well, well, you have a Saturday night service here. That's a Sabbath. No, we do it and the sun's down. It's too late. We're already in a Sunday. So the only moral law that we don't keep is the Sabbath. And you'll have people argue with you and all of that kind of thing. That they, they can, That's fine. You can, again, if they want to worship on the Saturday, that's, it doesn't bother us. I worship on the Saturday a lot because I'm studying like crazy for the weekend on the Sabbath. That's okay. So understand, these three things were there. And all of these things went together. And it it wasn't that the Old Testament, the law God gave them was bad. It was just temporary. Now, turn to Romans chapter 7 for a moment. You still with me? Two of you? You said, Pastor Mark, we don't need to know this stuff. Yeah, you do. It's very good that you know it. Because you'll have people say, why in the world do you worship on Sunday? Well, because the New Testament church did. Romans 7, 12. So then, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy. And righteous and good. There was nothing wrong with the law. The old covenant... The Mosaic Covenant, the law, was good. Here's what was wrong with the law. There was nothing wrong with the law. Who is the problem with? Us. In his teaching today, Pastor Mark reminded you how hard life was for the original readers of the book of Hebrews. They were thinking about going back to Judaism to ease the pressure on their lives. The writer of Hebrews told them again how the law just wasn't good enough to cleanse them permanently from sin and how Jesus' sacrifice took care of all of that for them. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. 
you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue this message, Christ's New Covenant is Better. You'll hear more about the contrasts between the Law of Moses and the New Covenant under Jesus. The limited nature of the Old Covenant will be pointed out and how God never planned for the Old Covenant to be followed forever. You'll learn why God's new way is mo better. (laughs) We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through the book of Hebrews. That's next time on Lessons for Living. in a hurry.